Yo, when you said critical thought, what did you really mean? Critical thought, critical mind. Think to yourself in critical times. M5M trying to watch your mind. I know they lying. Critical thought, critical mind. Think to yourself in critical times. M5M trying to watch your mind. I know they lying. Greetings and welcome to the Critical Thought Podcast where I give you my unsolicited narrative on the mainstream media and try to read between the lines. Warning, if you have an enlarged amygdala, proceed with caution. Ukraine peaceful solution is that Ukraine must not join NATO. If it brought peace in in Norway, it has not brought peace in Africa. And our experience with NATO is not what you have experienced. We need to strengthen the AU, give it more teeth to bite. Greetings and welcome to episode 5 of the Critical Thought Podcast. This week I want to kick it off with COVID because it's been making its way back into the news cycle, the past few news cycles, and here it is again. So how you figure that? How you figure that it is um is more contagious but is not affecting people on a on a large scale? Increased transmissibility, but it does not seem to be posing more of a threat to public health than other variants. So far, EG5 has been detected in 51 countries, its global presence doubling over the last month, with China having the largest portion, about a third of reported cases, Sound familiar? followed by the U.S., South Korea, Japan, Canada, Australia, Singapore, Canada. and the U.K. at 2%. EG5 was upgraded from a variant under monitoring because global health officials yeah, but you know what? What is what I find um curious about all of this? They haven't really been testing, and I have some clips coming up later where the mainstream media themselves will tell you that they haven't really been testing, and we'll get into the very um innovative ways in which they have uh, come up with to find out that um COVID is on the rise. as to if this is more risky or leading to more hospitalization. Right now, the U.S. is seeing a rise in COVID-19 cases, emergency room visits, and hospitalizations. But it's unclear if this specific strain is driving those increases. Health experts believe the record heat driving people indoors and summer travel may be helping to drive the uptick. An updated COVID booster. Hold on. So the heat that is keeping people indoors is helping to drive the optic. That makes no sense at all. If you're staying indoors, how are you helping to drive the optic? It's expected by fall. It's because the booster is targeted against XBB, and which is the strain 
of the Omicron family that EG5 is related to or comes from. So potentially it should protect against EG5 as well. So while we're at it, why don't we just sell some boosters? She can't wait for another booster. Of interest. I'm wondering what would need to happen for it to become a variant of concern and how much more important does it then become for us to get boosted? Yes, well, Lana, to become a variant of concern, it would have to either cause more severe disease or even more importantly, evade the protection of our current and anticipated vaccines. And the Food and Drug Administration has said We'll have a new monovalent booster ready for the fall to get through the winter. We expect this vaccine to be available sometime in September, perhaps late September. So uh, Perfect stay timing. tuned for those announcements. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry will stop at no ends to gain, to make their profits, you know what I mean? And in a capitalist world, some people would say, can you blame them? They're public companies, which means they have stakeholders and uh, number one interest is to the stakeholders and what the stakeholders want is profits. So we got to sell more boosters. So this is what I was referring to earlier when I um, said that they came up with some innovative ways to track COVID because they're no longer testing for COVID, but they need to have some way of relaying to the public that COVID is on the rise. And this is how they're finding the new cases of COVID. And they had mentioned this um, during the pandemic as well, you know, during the heights of the pandemic, probably late 2020, they had come out with this. The U.S. is seeing an increase in COVID cases. Nobody wants to hear that. Hospitalization rates, they are up more than 12% Nobody wants in the most to hear recent that. surveyed by the CDC. And in a sign of what could be ahead, COVID has been found in a rising number of wastewater samples. The virus is usually detected in wastewater up to a week before people start actually testing positive. CBS News medical contributor, that's Dr. Sleep. You see, you see what they did there? The virus is detected in wastewater a week before people start testing positive. So they can use this wastewater thing to be like, COVID is on the rise and then hand out these bogus tests again to back up their wastewater claims just pay attention to what they're doing you now and I, again i'm asking why now why is covid making a comeback now we need to follow this story i don't think it's i don't think it's serious i don't think covid's gonna come and wreak havoc on the place but there is a reason why they keep bringing this up in the news cycle covid has been found in a rising number of wastewater samples virus is usually detected in wastewater up to a week before people start actually testing positive. CBS News medical contributor, that's Dr. Celine Gounders with us. She's editor-at-large for Public Health. You know, people are going, enough already. We are so ready to move on. It's been a long time since I've even really even thought about COVID, but why are the cases going up and where? Well, it's a combination of people letting down their guard. I think a lot of people think, oh, we were in this bunker during the pandemic. Yes. It's going to go away when I come out. And unfortunately, it is still there. Oh. So just because you think you're done with COVID doesn't mean that virus is not still circulating. Letting our guard just because you think you're done with COVID does not mean that Big Pharma and the government is done with you. 
this bunker during the pandemic. Yes. It's going to go away when I come out. And unfortunately, it is still there. So just because you think you're done with COVID doesn't mean that virus is not still circulating. Letting our guard down how? Well, we're not masking as much, for example, Mask in up. public transportation. So on. Hold on. Like, it has been, I'm pretty sure it has been proven that masks don't work for COVID. Letting our guard down how? Masking as much, for example, in public transportation. So on the plane, I'm not on masking the anymore. Should we? Should we? Well, if you're in a crowded indoor I... public space, you mm -hmm. might want to mm -hmm. in certain situations, particularly as we go into the fall winter season. Mm -hmm. And where right. we're seeing go it go up the most right now is in the Midwest. Right. So see there, where it's going up the most right now is in the Midwest. So if you go and look on this from a political perspective. Midwest people are mostly Republican voting people and this kind of play into the theory that these people are going to get stricken with a outbreak of whatever the variant is now and they're not going to be able to go out and do their voting. They're going to have to use mail-in ballots and again, we know how effective mail-in ballots are. And then in comes the fear-mongering about the new variant Eris and what we need to do to protect ourselves from this variant. I can't believe people are still buying into this. There's also a new variant Eris. What can you tell us about that? And then do we have a booster that we'll have now do we to have help a booster? protect us against it? So Eris of is course a we have a booster. Uh, I don't think anybody should be um, getting really too worried about Eris. And in general, just because you hear about a new variant from the doctor herself don't get too worried about eris okay so if we shouldn't be too worried about eris what's the rest of this message about it doesn't mean this is something to panic about okay um, don't panic it's just yeah and this is what viruses do they mutate you're going to have new mm -hmm. variants emerge uh it is very closely related to xbb mm -hmm. which is the variant the most recent variant the vaccines that are coming out this fall are fine-tuned for XBB and will provide good But you said we shouldn't the worry about it. The and the boosters are still crucial and key, aren't they? Still. Well, especially if you're in one of those high-risk groups. So people over 75, especially with the elderly in general, uh, pregnant women, people who are, you know, compromised, people who live in nursing homes. What about the kids? And what about the kids? kids? haven't even gotten their first round of vaccination. So kids and infants really need to get their kids first round and protect them ahead of the fall and winter. You've been saying that since the beginning and that message has not changed. Thank you. They're still pushing to get these kids vaccinated. Alright, so they've told us that Biobot Analytics is the company that is responsible for tracking the wastewater and finding uh, COVID in the wastewater up to two weeks before people start showing symptoms. So let's hear from Nusha Gailey, or Gailey um, who is a representative from Biobot Analytics. And let's hear her pitch because she must have a pitch that she's coming with. Gailey and I'm the co-founder and president of Biobot Analytics. Mm. At Biobot, we're building a global human health database, the first of its kind, by analyzing sewage. A database. This is based on a simple a system global called database. epidemiology. Everybody pees every day. And we know that urine contains a rich source of information on our health so and well-being. Our doctors look at it all the time. 
every day we're flushing this data down the toilet where it's aggregating in public yeah but when your doctors look on it that is in confidence right that that that's covered by a doctor patient confidentiality agreement your doctor don't just go giving that data to other people so i think that's a an important difference in your doctor collecting the data and biobot analytics connect collecting your data information on our health and well-being our doctors look at it all the time and every day we're flushing this data down the toilet where it's aggregating in public sewers at biobot we're building technology to extract and analyze this information and it's a much more elegant process than this our work is based on research that was developed here at MIT and led by my co-founder Mariana Matus and I and this is how it works oh do pray tell doctor how does it work we start by mapping the wastewater network in a city. This is Cambridge, Massachusetts. We layer land use data and census data over top of the network map in order to understand if we're collecting a sample from a given manhole, exactly what the upstream catchment is and what- Land use data and census data. So basically, forget the land use data. Let's pay attention to the census data. There's a lot of information in census data, demographics, um, uh, earnings, you know, what I mean, age group, racial, racial arm, demographics, and all these things. So you can tell if it's a largely black population, if it's a largely Hispanic, largely white, whatever the case might be. They can also tell you the average income of the people in a particular neighborhood. So if it's a low income neighborhood, COVID might be really rampant and these people might need to get locked down and stay in their 15-minute cities for a longer period of time than in a more affluent neighborhood per se. What the demographics of that neighborhood are. We then deploy our hardware units in these manholes where they hang just above water level, pumping sewage through a series of cartridges. Manhole fire. The devices are then removed and the cartridges are shipped back to our labs where we measure the concentration of viruses, bacteria, and small molecules that are all excreted in urine. Now the applications are endless. We can begin to look at infectious disease outbreaks and monitor that all the way through to understanding the consumption of pharmaceutical products. So in order to start, we had to pick a very specific and targeted the consumption and we of decided to focus on the biggest public health emergency in the United States today the opioid epidemic. While this crisis continues, what? the best data that we have today is counting overdoses. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. She's saying that their grand plan for using this data is to track opioid overdoses. This doesn't even make any sense. You don't need to go measuring shit water to find out who is overdosing on opioids. It's in the street. It's it's in front of your eyes. You just have to walk down certain streets in the in the United States and certain cities in the United States and you'll see it. People are on the pavement, literally. So I don't think you need to resort to testing shit water to find out who is overdosing or suffering from abuse of opioids and we decided to focus on the biggest public health emergency in the united states today the opioid epidemic while this crisis continues the best data that we have today is counting overdoses 
This data is extremely delayed, reactive, and it represents less than 1% of people who suffer from opioid use disorder. We provide cities with neighborhood-level data on drug use and treatment that's updated uh -huh. every single month. We measure about 30 different drugs that range from heroin, illicit opioids like heroin and fentanyl, to prescription opioids like codeine and tramadol, as well as substitution therapies like methadone and suboxone. This overall city view helps city officials understand where to deploy interventions. We can tell them what where priority drugs are so that they know what types of interventions to, to deploy. And our trend data helps them evaluate whether those interventions are actually working. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It sounds suspect to me still. It sounds suspect to me because how are you going to accurately track how are you going to accurately collect this this information when so many other things get flushed down the toilet and poured down the drain? Household chemicals, there's bleach, there's all these things that would mess with the findings, that would mess with the chemical composition of whatever drug it is that you're looking for. So this, it, it don't seem to make any sense to me. I mean, I, I'm not a scientist, so I'm sure they might have intricate ways of, of separating these chemicals at some level and then getting down to the to the base and finding out exactly how much of this particular drug is in the shit water at what part per million or excuse me wastewater at what part per million but it just it don't sound logical to me it kind of sound fishy it kind of sound like this is the precursor to having a explosion of covid cases it's kind of like we don't know how well this science works and how well they're going to be able to pull COVID numbers out of shit water. But it is a way for them to scare the public and be like, listen, we found a whole lot of numbers. The numbers are going up. We found a whole lot of cases in these neighborhoods and we need to lock them down because we don't want to have a spread of COVID. So we need to keep these people contained to their neighborhoods. It just sounds too convenient to me. Our first customer in North Carolina was able to decrease overdoses by 40% by leveraging our data in only six months. How? We told oh. them that prescription opioids were what was most commonly used, and therefore they focused all their resources and interventions on that. Okay. In just a little over a year, we have grown from being deployed in that one city to now being launched across eight with 100% retention. And with that, we're one step closer to achieving our mission, What's which that? is to transform wastewater infrastructure around the world into a public health observatory. Around the world. So these people want to go around the world and collect, um, even though I don't think they can, but this is the guys. They want to go around the world and collect your data and build a global a global database of, of, of data collected from wastewater. Let's say they could do it. I don't think they can, but let's say they could. Who is giving them the right to do this? Like, I don't like, you know, that in the beginning they had compared it to doctors taking samples of your urine because they do it all the time. But again, that's covered by doctor-patient confidentiality. This is a private or public company, I'm not sure. That's going to be going around and globally connecting, collecting samples of people's urine and feces. 
Um, so Biobot is actually a private company. It was founded in 2017. Um, its latest raise was a Series A, which was $20 million, 126 employees, and 30, 32 investors. All right, so it's early stage startup, but it could be a company that might go public. And if it does go public, it might be a this might be a signal no i'm not giving financial advice i'm just trying to read between the lines here and see how comes they're advertising this company in this particular manner so i would like to touch on africa briefly this um week there wasn't much in the news cycle i had to really search for this particular clip but um i want to mention it because Julius Malema was in the news recently, the South African um, politician that is, I believe he's the leader of the EFF, which is the Economic Freedom Fighters in South Africa. And he was um, at a rally the other day or at a conference of some sort, or I don't think it was a rally. And he was addressing EU members and talking about, talking about a lot of stuff, talking about... Um, nato in africa and um russia and talking about american bases in in botswana and you know sympathizing with with um with with russia in terms of understanding what it is they're fighting against because the african countries have been fighting against the same type of imperialism for a long time but uh let's get into the clip and listen to what julius malema has to say we, we, we are spreading the wings of the EFF. Um, we have EFF in Liberia, we have EFF in Lesotho, we have EFF in Namibia, we have EFF in Zimbabwe. We, have, we, we, we are a young organization in terms of age, but already we are finding an expression in other um, African countries because we are trying to uh, take this spirit into other African countries. You know, like, this is what I was saying last week. This is what Africa should be doing. Africa should be handling their own affairs. Africa doesn't need other countries coming in to tell them how to do things and how their resources should be managed. We know this is, is, is rubbish. You know what I mean? Like, the West would want Africa to look like some kind of impoverished continent where everybody lives in huts on the grasslands. Africa has some of the... the biggest cities in the world the continent of africa could fit the united states most of europe a big portion of china india all of it can fit on the continent the continent is massive and powerful but it's a psychological game it's a psyop that the colonialists play with the minds of of the people you even look on the world map the continent is not represented in its true size that's a psychological operation we're trying to uh, take this spirit into other African countries. We need to strengthen the AU, give it more teeth to bite. The decisions of the AU yeah, the must be Union. taken and they must be firm, firmly uh, implemented by countries of Africa if we are going to say this is a serious uh, uh, continental body. So I believe the question he was asked here was what is a solution to, or what is the peaceful solution for what's going on in Ukraine right now? 
And his answer was very poignant. And I find it, um, again, it's just more in line with this Africa-Russia union that is taking place that most news organizations just aren't covering. And I don't know why that's the case. I mean, I suppose it's not beneficial to the U.S., so the U.S. just not going to cover it. Ukraine peaceful solution is that Ukraine must not join NATO. That's the solution. So that we, we protect the territory. I mean, Russia doesn't feel threatened. It's as simple as that. And uh, I, I, I sympathize with you. And you I, I like the fact that you like dialogue. And I like dialogue. can engage about that. Uh, because um, um, NATO is not a very peaceful organization. You can't talk peace and NATO in one sentence. It's not true what you are saying, because what 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 what, NATO, what peace did NATO take to Libya? Look at what you did to Libya. To date, because you are going after one man, you destroyed the whole country. So if it brought peace in in Norway, it has not brought peace in Africa. And our experience with NATO is not what you have experienced. And therefore, uh, we, we respectfully disagree with that. I agree. So evidently it's clear that some African nations are done with um, European and Western nations meddling in their affairs. They just they want to be liberated from that and they want to run their own affairs. They want to be in control of their own resources. And they also are done with having military bases on the continent, you know. And I feel that that's a fair, that's a fair ask. If America wouldn't stand to have a Chinese military base on its continent, then why should it have military bases on the African continent or any other continent for that matter? You know, this thing of uh, territorial threats, we know them here. We've got an army base here in Botswana. What is America doing here in Botswana? Why is Africa not in American borders? What do you call that? And you, you, you come and say imperialism and colonialism is finished. When people expand their territorial expansion through uh, putting military bases at our borders. There's a, a military base here. A study has been conducted that a fighter jet that moves from that army base to the Union building will not take less than two minutes to bomb the Union building. If a war is declared with America, America does not have to assemble any resource from Washington or anywhere else to come here. It's already, already here. here. What do you call that? It's democracy. It's free world. We must celebrate that and say, no, imperialism is no longer there. It's in our head. And the clips go on and on, you know, but I think maybe I'll play one more, but the overarching the overarching theme of what he's saying is that Africa is fed up and Africa is willing to become allies with other countries that are fed up with the same treatment that they are receiving and they're willing to to do something about it. They're willing to come together. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And I don't know if Africa and Russia were ever really enemies, but the point is that these two countries that didn't really have much relations before are now coming together. It's a story that's not in the legacy media news cycle. And I think, you know, we'll follow it here on the Critical Thought Podcast still because it might be the next big story. We're not going to allow that. 
American military base here all the time in the platforms we get and educate our people that this is exactly what Putin is fighting against. America will not allow that. That Russia must go and establish a military base in Cuba with missiles facing the USA. They won't allow that. So we must not be allowed, we must not be asked to accept the things that you will not accept uh, if they were to happen in your countries. And that's what uh, uh, we're talking about when we speak about NATO and peace not going together. And this is why I think this is a conflict or rather yeah, a conflict between NATO and, and African nations that seems to be brewing where African nations are just sick of the way NATO is handling things in Africa. They want to handle their own affairs and they really want to be done with NATO. They want NATO to leave the continent. And then you have NATO being at a war or being in a war with Russia and using the Ukraine as a proxy at the moment. NATO seems to be spreading itself thin. How many wars can NATO fight at once? So most weeks there's a story on Big Pharma and this week there is, there's no difference. Um, the NIH arguably has been captured by Big Pharma. The um, pharmaceutical companies have been funneling money into, well, they don't call it money, they call it royalties to bigwigs in the NIH and they could even potentially be supporting bioweapons in countries in the Eastern Bloc, in Europe, for example. And for the first time, it would appear that the names of these companies has been made available. So let's jump to this next clip and see if Big Pharma has, in fact, captured um, the NIH. Follow the money. That's the message from government watchdog group Open the Books this week. It's just released a report on the extent of third-party royalty payments flowing to scientists at the National Institutes of Health. While royalty payments aren't illegal, they are limited and could potentially create conflicts of interest. Earlier today, I spoke with the founder and CEO of Open the Books, Adam Andrzejewski. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. Your latest report poses the question, has the healthcare industry captured the NIH? In summary, what in your findings caused you to ask that? Well, the entire uh, pharmaceutical complex in the United States is roughly 3,000 companies, and that includes the new startups. When we just cracked open the companies paying third-party royalties, $325 million worth of third-party company royalties back to the NIH and 2,400 of its scientists, there's actually over 2,000 companies in the database. So it begs the question, has the industry captured the agency uh, because this third-party royalty scheme runs so deep. That's a large number, $325 million getting paid back to high-level NIH officials over, I don't know what period of time, but $324 million is not is not small change. Last year, the acting director of the NIH, Lawrence Tabak, had said royalty payments have the appearance of a potential conflict of interest. Do you have a specific example of that from the... That's funny. Somebody from the NIH is going to say that these royalty pay payments only appear to have a conflict of interest. They're just an appearance. Data? Well, we do. So there's a Chinese company that actually licensed technology and is paying royalties to the former director 
and the current director of Fauci's Institute. So they're collecting money from China. Of infectious diseases. Um, he's all, that, that company is also paying royalties to, paid a royalty to Douglas Lowry, who is, he, he is three times the acting director of the National Cancer Institute. So they... So a Chinese national corporation is paying people within Fauci's Institute and also paying people within the NIH. And that's only an appearance of a conflict of, in, of, of interest. So these are leaders within the institutes over at NIH and they're receiving royalties from a foreign payer located in China and owned by the Chinese Communist Party, Sinopharm. Sinopharm was the... They distributed and manufactured the Chinese version of the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, this Wuhan Institute of Biological Products that's cutting the royalty checks to these executives over at NIH is also very close, both uh, in proximity. Hold on, the Wuhan Institute of Biological Products is the one writing the checks for these people that were pushing the COVID hysteria and in return were also pushing the vaccine. They're neighbors to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and they collaborate with the Wuhan Institute of Virology on different projects as well. So I think this is a great example of, of you know, the potential of an entire landscape littered with conflict of interest. And then, so that's where we kind of get into biological weapons, because the Wuhan lab is a biological weapons lab and there's tons of biological weapons labs all over the world they're in the US as well Fort Dedrick I believe is one or, or um, Plum Island is where they have another one I believe and then there's also tons of them in the Ukraine so mm, them follow the money and he mentioned foreign countries uh, in these payments. Your investigation found drug makers in 31 foreign countries, including China, as you mentioned, Russia and Belarus, which had paid royalties to top NIH officials. Should American taxpayers be Russia, concerned? It's so they're only going to call China, Russia and Belarus. They're not going to mention the Ukraine, which tells you that this 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 is this is slanted this is propaganda because if they were being non-biased they would tell you about all of them but they've somehow conveniently forgotten to mention that the ukraine is one of the leading countries of of bioweapons in europe about that yeah who knew who knew in countries like belarus which has rabid government corruption and is a satellite puppet of putin and russia who knew that U.S. taxpayer inventions over at our crown jewel science labs were being licensed to companies in Belarus? Or no, I'm not saying that Russia isn't involved in this as well. I'm just saying that the convenience of not calling the Ukraines um, or giving the Ukraine the credit they deserve in this whole thing, I think it's very convenient and it's very telling. Animal vaccine makers in Russia, with which the Washington Post had alleged, has historic Soviet ties to being a front for a bioweapons factory. I mean, you know, there is the entire database here has the potential to unearth not only conflict of interest, but also uh, ways that all these different companies used our Crown Jewel National Lab to outsource their own research and development. So all in all, um, 
big pharma is tied up in a whole bunch of stuff right and nobody's gonna see any real there might be a few people left to, to sacrifice right some people in the nih might lose their jobs and but they've already been well paid big pharma in general is going to come out of this unscathed there is absolutely no consequence for their actions as a matter of fact let's move into a story about um the sackler family and uh, the lawsuit that was brought against them so here is a case of politics being played between um, big pharma and the government who all know big pharma lobbies so nothing is going to come of this but an interesting um kind of tidbit where biden is so the Sackler family are the people that, I don't know if you've ever watched um, a show on, I think it was on Disney called Dope Sick, and that's kind of loosely based on the Sackler family and how they made their fortunes um, flooding the American um, Midwest with opioids and basically starting the opioid crisis in America. Now, I think they were, they paid one of the largest fines, which was $6 billion dollars. I saw at the time it was one of the largest fines ever been ordered to pay or to be paid by a pharmaceutical company. But I think they made something like in the order of 18 million or billion rather 18 B billion dollars. So they paid six, made 18, they had a 12 billion dollar profit. So I don't think they lost anything really, to be honest, but this is just more show and, um, Biden is trying to make a stand. I guess this is probably supposed to help his um, re-election um, bid. Now to the Supreme Court, temporarily blocking the landmark opioid settlement with Purdue Pharma, the maker of OxyContin. The Biden administration objected to the part of the deal which shields the company's owners, the Sackler family, from civil opioid-related lawsuits. The company also agreed to pay $6 billion to victims and families of the opioid crisis. The court is expected to hear arguments before the end of the year. So, yeah, I just think it's... Um, it's it's funny how that other story, the story we played before, wasn't big on the news cycles necessarily, but this story got a lot more play on the news cycle. The story that Biden is rejecting the part of the deal where the Sacklers can't be sued and ray ray yada yada yada. But the other part of the, the, the story didn't get put out there. And then even the part that did get put out, they left out the very important... Um, link between bio bio labs and the ukraine and then that link would obviously move to the ukraine and joe biden and hunter biden but there's nothing surprising about that. this is typical legacy news media um sponsored by big pharma so you know this is what we get As it relates to climate change, let us hear from this lady in Australia that is um, did some investigation into renewable energy and the, for lack of a better term, the money laundering that, that comes with um, turbines being erected in Australia. And I'm sure if this is happening in Australia, it's probably happening in other parts of the world as well. You used to work for the federal government. I did, yeah, for seven years. Doing what? I was policy advisor for a Liberal Party senator. The area that I was working in was renewable energy. 
and basically um, it was my job to uh, uncover a lot of the stuff that was going on with the Renewable Energy Act, which was put in in 2002 under the Howard government. So that was the Liberal Party put the act in place and I was uh, looking at the mess that it had created. And what a lot of people don't understand is that the Renewable Energy Act um, creates a subsidy environment where if you build wind turbines, you're paid between 600000 and 900000 per turbine per year. Between 300000 or between 600000 and 900000 per turbine per year. Now, there are companies that build these turbines and uh, she'll explain they lease the land from farmers. Who do you think is getting the six hundred to nine hundred thousand dollars per year? Yeah, as a subsidy alone. Well, if it's on your property. No. So, what happens is the wind company comes in and they pay a lease to the farmer to build the wind turbines, mm -hmm. and that, in effect, makes sure that the farmer is still liable for the turbine. Okay. And they pay a lease of $12,000 a year, usually. So this is the money and laundering part. the company part. gets paid between six hundred and nine hundred thousand dollars and $900,000 per turbine per year. The company so gets they it. They pay 12000 to the farmer, but they get $600,000. Exactly. Per turbine. Yeah. Which is a big incentive. So the farmer is liable. The farmer has to repair the turbine if anything goes wrong with the turbine. If the turbine causes damage to a neighboring property, the farmer is liable. The farmer collect twelve thousand dollars, twelve thousand for a turbine, and the company that erected the turbine gets paid anywhere between six hundred to nine hundred thousand dollars. So all of this money is going back into into the corporate space. It's going back into these, and most of these companies are probably owned by. BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street anyways, right? And to, to put in turbines. Yeah, and the landowner takes the liability for the turbine. So he gets $12,000 a year, but if anything, anything happens to it, he's got to fix it. Or she's got to fix it. Yeah, when they catch on fire, yeah. they're responsible for their neighbours' properties going up in smoke. And effectively that money, the subsidy that's getting paid to the wind farms is reaming $40 billion a year out of the Australian economy and it's paid by everyone every pensioner householder schools so this is this is um specific to australia this particular clip on this report but i guarantee if this is happening in australia it's probably happening in the united states it's probably happening in holland it's probably happening everywhere where they erect these wind farms these turbines as she will explain they have to pull off the grid because if the wind is not strong enough to run these turbines, then these turbines are pulling the electricity to, to keep the, the blades turning. How clean is this energy if it's pulling off the grid? And how much is it pulling from the grid? Schools, hospitals, everyone, it's not just out of your tax, it comes out of your power bill. Is this why power bills are going up? Yeah, that's why power bills. So our power bills are going up to pay for wind turbines that don't work. Huh. Exactly. Why don't they work? So they don't work because, um, for a start, they draw power off the grid, so they have to have coal-fired power in order to turn. They're not windmills, they're turbines. 
and essentially... Sorry, what do you mean? The, the, the power to turn. So when we see them turning, that's not the wind, that's the power generator turning. Essentially, they have to draw power off the grid. So they have to draw coal-fired power off the grid in order... So a lot of this green energy is is smoke and mirrors is all an illusion because a lot of this green energy is pulling from the grid anyway it's the same with electric cars they want to make as far as the u.s is concerned they want to make sure that there are no more electric cars being manufactured by 2030 or some ridiculousness like that but at the same time the grid will not be able and i know i'm repeating myself so if you've heard it before forgive me but at the same time the grid will not be able to facilitate all of these electric vehicles that are going to be coming on board. It just can't. to turn. And what happens when the wind picks up, they do actually start to create electricity of their own. But that electricity is so intermittent and unreliable. When it gets back to the grid, it... So all in all basically what she's saying without getting into getting too technical or going too much into the weeds is that these things are sucking more power from the grid than they're providing they're not efficient in any way shape or form and now for my favorite part of the show mental gymnastics let's check out the absurdity that has been in the news cycle this week and end the show with a laugh and get out of here in good spirits now you know it wouldn't be mental gymnastics if we didn't talk about some kind of gender bending craziness. If a student identifies as transgender, do the parents have a right to know? In one California school district, parents will be notified under a new policy. NTD's David Lamb reports. Parents whose children are enrolled at the Marietta Valley School District in Southern California will be informed if their students identify as transgender. As opposed the to not informing them. proposal on Thursday night by a 3-2 to two vote. The policy was presented by a lawyer. So again, certificate of staff giving written notice within three days to a parent. Once they if they become aware that a student is either one, requesting to be treated as a gender other than the student's biological... She said if they become aware, but the irony behind all of this is that it's a lot of these um, teachers that are pushing the agenda. The kids don't become aware until the teachers actually start introducing them to certain topics and certain ideologies. So for, for this lady to say if the kids become aware is a little misleading because most of the times the children become aware through the guidance of their teachers. Either one, requesting to be treated as a gender other than the student's biological sex or gender, gender listed on the birth certificate, including use of different name or pronouns. Parents would also be notified if the student accesses activities for the opposite gender, such as athletic teams or bathrooms, or requests to change information in the student's records. A board member who voted against the proposal said this affects students' safety in classrooms and brought up a different perspective. It's not about conservative values or family values or progressive values. Hold on, how does this affect children's safety in classrooms? This child is at school and they've told their teacher or whoever it is that they want to be seen as something else or they feel like they want to be a part of another whatever the case might be and you telling the parents is going to promote 
danger in the classroom i just how does that relate classrooms and brought up a different perspective it's not about conservative values or family values or progressive values it's about picking a fight with sacramento what that will be funded with your tax dollars the policy says it's that's the thing with these people you know that's the one thing with these 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 people that support this trans movement that all seem to have this victim mentality that all seem to have this mentality like the whole world is against them they always position themselves as the underdogs and people are fighting against them nobody was fighting you until you decided to bring your business into the public sphere until you started to push this thing on everybody you do what you need to do just don't bring children into it if you bring if and when you do bring children into this type of scenario you're gonna get pushback from rational thinking people and you must expect that especially people that have children part two of the clip the stakes are really really high we have young kids who are flirting with these different ideations about what their gender is at a very young age because right now the state of california for whatever reason is intent on allowing minors to alter who they are another school district in chino valley recently adopted a similar notification policy so there's two perspectives right there's that perspective that we just heard that the state of california is increasingly allowing minors to decide who they want to be in terms of gender and then also promoting the so-called gender affirming care of children aka the mutilation of kids um and then there's a perspective from that other lady we heard before who's talking about it's a fight against sacramento nobody's fighting sacramento i think the people in sacramento are fighting the ridiculous ideology that you want to subject the children to i think that's really where the fight is meanwhile the chinese are trying to convince us to open our palates but it's not bugs and it's not lab meat. The Chinese are eating something else and the propaganda is real. I don't even, this, this must be a hoax. This can't be a real thing. This Chinese stir fry features rocks as the main ingredient and social media calls it, quote, the world's hardest dish. People are supposed to suck off the flavors, then spit out the rocks. Hence the dish's name, Sodio, meaning suck and dispose. <laughs> the dish originated in Hubei province and is said to date back hundreds of years. It was reportedly passed down for generations by boatmen through their oral history. What kind of foolishness is this? This is this, this, this our real story. With spices, chili oil, and garlic on a sizzling grill. Each portion costs about 16 yuan, which is around $2.30. $2.30 for a bowl of rocks and garlic and onion. Who who are they targeting with this message? Who are they trying to convince? I want to see what the person look like that this is targeted towards because this don't even seem like it could be a real thing. And that is where we'll end episode 5 of the Critical Thought Podcast. I hope you found it informative. I hope you found it insightful. Join us next week for episode number six. Yo, when you said critical thought, 
Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5M trying to wash your mind And you know they line Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5M trying to wash your mind And you know they line